When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, the world's most trusted conspiracy theory podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Haidar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. And I'm Olivia Haidar. And that makes us your hosts. Olivia, how is it going? You know, since the last time we talked, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. things are going a little better, I would say. You know, it's good. I kind of got the Charles Hall out of my system and I'm feeling good. Yeah, that last documentary we watched was a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a whole lot of not much. Yes, (laughs) that's... (laughs) The better way to put it. This week, though, we're talking about some shit. Yeah. This is something I guess I knew in the broad sense in the back of my mind forever. That oil companies knew a little more about global warming and climate change than they let on. And that they didn't really do that much about it. But I never knew the specifics. And I never knew how specifically just one company really spearheaded all of that. Until I watched yeah, this. And specifically, like, one dude in that yeah. company, really. Obviously, the entire company kind of, you know, is fucked up. But there's mainly one central villain who is still active. And, well, you know, he's not anymore. But anyway, it's crazy. I've obviously known that the oil lobby is massive and that they are doing everything in their power to prevent regulation that could ease climate change. I just didn't know specifically how fucked up what they were doing was. Yeah, same. And all of that is talked about in the three-part Paramount Plus documentary, Black Gold. Yeah. Which covers the story of how Exxon in particular and their eventual CEO, Lee Raymond, knew about things like the greenhouse effect and global warming decades Yeah. Before just kind of the general public, before a lot of science Mm. knew about it, like the absolute last group of people you would want to know about it first found out about it first. Right. And that was Exxon. And they Uh, actively tried to cover it all up. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say Paramount Plus, beyond how I could have ever predicted, has become like a really good network. There's a lot of really good shit on Paramount Plus right now. You know, we were talking about doing watch-alongs. Have you watched the Waco series on Paramount Plus? Oh, shit. That would be the only way that I would. (laughs) Well, it's it's very good, for one thing. Taylor Kitsch plays fucking David Koresh, and he is fantastic. It's a very lenient view toward the Branch Davidians, but here's the thing. Mm -hmm. The Branch Davidians were kind of mischaracterized in the media. They weren't white nationalists. David Koresh was a creep and Mm -hmm. did apparently marry a 14-year-old. But I think the reason it's so deferential to the Branch Davidians is because in what world is the solution to, hey, that guy married a 14-year-old. Let's burn down the compound with kids in it. Right. A lot of questions that need to be answered there. Yeah, I mean... The ATF and the FBI are clearly the bad guys of that story. I mean, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. It's good, though. The series is very good. I'm sure. I'm sure it's good. It's just not a show that I would ever seek out on my own. You know, I'm going to watch something with, like, magic or something (laughs) instead. No magic in that. It was a weird choice to, like, that series, like, was the thing that was supposed to kick off the Paramount Plus network. Yeah, not a good choice. The Waco series. And no. not long after that was announced, all the Harvey Weinstein 
stuff happened yeah. as if yeah. someone in the FBI was like, Oh, you think so? You think yeah. the, the Waco series, we know what you've been up to. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Star Trek was always going to be the major seller for the <laughs> Paramount plus. And you know, after three years, they got a series that rules strange new worlds it is one of the best TV shows in a while. Oh, uh, I haven't watched it, but I should. It's so good. It's like a real TV show. That's the thing that I love the most about it is it doesn't feel oh, like a yeah. streaming show. Yeah, you mentioned that. So anyway. Anyway, Paramount Plus, they're good. Check them out. They are. This documentary, it's very well done. It's like a CBS mm. News production. You can tell they've got some money behind it because yes, one of the issues with the documentary we covered on last week's bonus episode is that mm-hmm. it's kind of just one guy looking at the camera rambling mm-hmm. aimlessly for an hour and 20 minutes. Yes, it is. There is an absolutely jaw dropping number of talking heads yeah. in this because they start coming in hot right away. Yeah. And so much so that I like went back and started counting and writing all their names down. And now I, I don't remember the count. But we have Amy Westervelt, investigative journalist, Ed Garvey, Exxon researcher, Richard Werthammer, Exxon corporate research manager, Jerry. Te- I'm not going to read them all. I'm just joking. Yeah. There's like yeah, there's 25 so many. or 30 people. And every once in a while, like, their like description will change. Right. There's one guy, well, Ben Franta, Ph.D. applied physics, Harvard University and climate accountability researcher, Stanford University. Just changes. Right. Yeah. I will say if I have one gripe with the documentary, it's that it didn't bring their name up enough. I think when you have this many talking heads, you kind of have to have their name on screen whenever they're talking. Yes. Anytime. Because it's very difficult to remember who is who. And when they did show their name, it was very quick. Very quick. Because we do this a lot where we have to cover documentaries and like take notes about them. Yes. And it was a thing I noticed with this one. Like when someone's name would come up, I'd try to just type it out and keep things moving. And it just popped up so quick that I would have to pause and rewind. Kind of my only gripe about this. I think they sort of overdid it with the amount of people telling a story that it really only needed a few people to tell it. I mean, yeah, but I don't mind having this many people when... They all have a different enough perspective on the events. Yeah. Yeah. My only gripe is just that I couldn't remember who everybody was always. I remember the nun and I remember Jim Hansen and I remember Raymond, Lee Raymond. Lee Raymond. Uh, and that's about it. Yeah. Lee Raymond, that guy, you don't want to you know, make fun of a person for having a cleft palate, which he has. No. And I'm not going to, but I will say that it's very appropriate that his <laughs> makes his mouth yes. like permanent grumpy cat shape. Yes. He's yes. got a yes, pronounced frown all the time. And it's because of yes. the, the cleft palate, but he should like he should yeah. frown all the time. I get the feeling that even if he did not have a cleft palate, <laughs> he wouldn't smile a whole bunch. This is like when we were talking about the GM streetcar thing and whenever a GM guy would pop up on that and they just look like they don't even know what the word fun means you know that's just the vibe you get their whole life is money and that's it and that destroys your body because you are unable to like project humanity (laughs) i don't know how else to put it yeah this guy is cartoon evil yes he's movie evil this should be a movie absolutely and i would be there's definitely parts of it that could be absolutely yeah i'd be shocked if it's not at some point i wouldn't because the oil lobby as we've learned through these three episodes are exceptionally powerful and really good at media management yeah. or at least used to be they'll probably make the movie someday and will be the hero who <laughs> fought global warming and won right yeah he'll be played by colin farrell <laughs> <laughs> so it's three kind of looks like the penguin oh yeah yeah he's got that kind of look too yeah so again it's three parts Part one is Mm -hmm. called Apocalypse Later, and it talks about how back in the late 60s, early 70s, all these companies like Bell Labs especially were just doing all this cool research. Technology had advanced to a point where we had a lot of stuff to work with and see what we could do with it. And Exxon decides 
they want to be that. They don't just want to be an oil company. They want to be energy company. They want to be an engineering right. company. They want to be Bell Labs. So they're they, forward thinking. Yeah. So they poach Bell Labs top researcher and they set up their own version of Bell Labs, an engineering right. and research wing of Exxon. And the point of the early part of this documentary seems to be to drive home how good Exxon scientists were at this point. And I think that's important. Yeah. How good the scientists were and how little direction they were given from the higher ups. Like there was no pressure seemingly to make it look like oil was the way forward. The whole point was seeing what the options were for the future. Right. And some of those scientists were working on climate change and just like climate Mm. science and like just kind of casually looking into, you know, the impact of fossil fuels and burning oil on the environment and things and stuff like the greenhouse effect, global warming. None of that was really known at the time. Right. And there's the senior scientist, James Black, considered the most distinguished of their senior scientists. He's given an assignment to write up a memo about climate change and carbon dioxide. And that memo is called The Greenhouse Effect. And that was in 1978. So more than 40 years ago now. Yeah, a while back. And he tells the company in this memo that they, along with humanity basically, have about a five-year window where we need to start addressing this before things get very bad. Yeah, well, good thing things are fine now. Yeah, this is a story about how Exxon got ahead of that shit and global warming is a hoax. Right. It's actually not that. Don't get excited. No, it's not. Don't get excited, no. Trump supporters. So <laughs> Jim Hansen, not the Muppets guy. No, not Jim Hansen. Jim Hansen, researcher and scientist from the University of Iowa. He comes to a right. similar conclusion around this time. And Exxon starts looking into all of this and they decide that if they're part of the discussion, they can help kind of dictate policy. Right. And so they form all of these partnerships with scientists. And this one Exxon researcher in particular, Henry Shaw, finds out that scientists have two main questions, which is how much CO2 can the ocean store? And what is the contribution of fossil fuels compared to deforestation in terms of contributing CO2 to the environment? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm carrying on for a long time and getting a little sciency and whatnot. The documentary <laughs> kind of does the same. But the point is Exxon at this point in history had really good scientists who found out the greenhouse effect and global warming were a thing. Right. Way back when your parents were in school. Long, long time ago. Right. This being the 70s, they're like, well, let's tell the management about this then they can do the right thing. And then, you know, let's trust our corporation. They know what's right and unfortunately no. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like they maybe were on a path to that. And right. then Lee Raymond steps in. Yes. He is, again, a movie villain. Yes. There's a former Exxon scientist in this who one doesn't even want to be identified on camera. And he says what Lee Raymond did, the way he describes it is he moved the culture of Exxon to the right. Right. Which is kind of terrifying to think that an oil company is being dictated by those same kind of fuck poor people type of politics. Yeah. They described it like the corporate atmosphere was mostly conservative anyway. Because it's an oil company and it's the 70s and, you know, it's a bunch of white dudes mostly working there. But that it wasn't conservative in the way that we understand it. It was more of the old fashioned kind. And Lee Raymond comes in and he starts pushing it more into the far right area that we are more familiar with. Yeah, I think what he represents is that shift in corporate America that happened where it used to be that the employees of the corporation were what (laughs) mattered 
and you wanted right. to keep them happy. But then eventually it shifted to, no, the shareholders are all that matters. Right. Profits, which, shareholders, that's it. Which is what, like, that's the thinking that has been adopted in general when it comes yeah. to corporate America and just life in the United States in general. Yeah, I mean, that's the inevitable outcome of a free market capitalist like system. And it just is unfortunate that in this case, that attitude is going to kill millions and millions and millions of people. Yeah. Were you surprised to see Al Gore in this? (laughs) Not particularly. (laughs) Like I wasn't expecting it necessarily, but I was pleasantly surprised. I was super duper expecting it. Like, he's got to show up. It would be like a documentary about the 1980s crack bill, and Joe Biden doesn't show up for it. Sure. You are the mouthpiece of that, sir. You have to be there. (laughs) And like, yeah, Al Gore, this is the point in history where he starts cutting his teeth as an environmental activist, because it does start slowly trickling out that maybe all of this burning oil and sending that into the atmosphere might be bad. Al Gore is extremely charismatic in all of his clips in this. He has such a bad rap for being a extremely boring guy. But like in his talking head interviews and in all of the archive clips, he like is very funny and knows what he's talking about and comes off as a really charming and intelligent man. Yeah, I've always liked Al Gore. I do legitimately think things would have been a little better if he won in 2000. At least on climate, at the very least. Right. And there's a very funny SNL clip. He went back and hosted SNL at some point after losing the 2000 election. And the opening bit, like the cold open, is him imagining he won and he's just like mm-hmm. talking about the country uh, yeah, since I remember he won. This. I think he mentions that 9-11 happened and he's like glad we didn't do anything rash <laughs> it's very funny <laughs> but uh yeah Al Gore's in this a lot yeah I wasn't surprised by it. I went and saw an inconvenient truth in theaters me too yeah I really liked Al Gore I respected him a lot I like that he had a yeah. stance on the environment and this is the point in history where that all starts If people don't recall or know, the late 70s, early 80s were a tense time for gas and oil. We were having gas and oil shortages in this country. It was a a whole thing. So people were really focused on the impact of oil in general on our well-being. And as a result of that, oil prices drop in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And Exxon decides that to keep quarterly profits going, they have to cut all of those research projects Hmm. that they were doing publicly and, you know, spend all that money just on oil and also black ops to keep people from finding out about global warming. Well, that's to come. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like this was almost totally Lee Raymond's decision. They were at a crossroads and he decides, well, all right, we have to get profits back up. So let's dance with the partner we brought. We are no longer an energy company. We are no longer a research company. We are an oil company. And our job is to make profits. It's not to find an alternative for our own business model. Which, again, is, you know, a deeply immoral philosophy that will destroy the planet. But makes sense if you're a capitalist and if you're like a corporation. That is logical. Yeah, I guarantee Lee Raymond is a legend within Exxon. He got like a half a billion dollar severance. He's a hero. He was a good CEO, even though he was an evil CEO. Right. And it's also mentioned that around this time, most of the research that science was doing in general was showing that climate change was the fault, in large part, oil companies and burning fossil fuels. So it makes sense that Exxon would kind of step back from that research a little bit. Because by this point in history, Exxon kind of knew everything they needed to know. Yeah. Like they knew the science wasn't wrong and they knew what it was going to do to them as a company. Mm -hmm. And they and Lee Raymond made a choice. It really reminds me a lot of the opioid crisis in this country in that that is also kind of just like one family making a decision that 
all right, we know what the truth is, but also we have this one thing that if we want, we can go a different way and pretend that opioids aren't addictive and that people should be taking them every day. And that decision has such dramatic consequences on the rest of the world. This is the same thing. Yeah. Exxon could have been the company at the fucking cutting edge of climate change research. And instead, they actively decided kind of to make it worse. They could have been making money, lots of money, by investing in and creating really good versions of renewable energy sources. Right. It might not be as much as what you would get from oil. And then this is the part where someone from the company goes, okay, that's all we need to hear. (laughs) It's not as much as we get from oil. Thank you. That's all it is. And this is something Al Gore harps on a lot for good reason is like, all of this is just done for a little bit more money. Right. In the grand scheme. And that's it. Yeah. It's evil. It is. It was an evil decision on this company's part. And that's, yes, that's not a word I use a lot. But no, and it's not the last evil decision no. that they will make. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, on to part two. This is called Black Ops, is the name of episode two. Uh-oh, starts with scenes from the Exxon Valdez oil spill. <sighs> yeah. Which, that happened in March 1989. I don't think I had ever heard this, but it's mentioned that when that oil spill happened, it would yeah. have taken an entire day to fly from one side of that oil spill to the other. That is bananas. It's inconceivable. Like, my brain is not evolved to picture something that large, which is why I think most people just kind of shrink it in their minds. And it's one of those things that we think of, well, that happened in 1989. I bet it's fine up there now, and it's not. Like, they say it's cleaned up, and they show footage in this documentary of people on beaches where that happened and they dig their hand in the rocks and it's just all oil and gross, but it's disgusting to hear Exxon tell it, they cleaned it up. It's fine. And so when this happens for some reason, the first person they send out to deal with this is this guy named Lawrence Rawls. I think he's the CEO. Yeah. And there's this clip of him being interviewed about it. And they're like, well, what are the plans to fix this? And he's like, I'm a CEO. I don't need to know the plans. They'll call me when it's fixed. Right. They explain it. And I think it makes sense when they say like, he is from the old school, even at that time of corporate management, where he just is only focused on the absolute specifics of his job. And can't conceive of why anybody would want to know what the CEO of the company thinks about this on the ground matter. Like he doesn't have any sort of idea of being a public facing individual. Yeah. They show a couple clips of him and it's fucking wild. He's like yelling at people and shit. It's insane. Like he is an idiot and an asshole. Yeah. It's like those clips of Reagan on the campaign trail, just like screaming at black people for not listening to him. Yeah. Very awkward stuff. So I get why they replaced this guy. I don't get why they never replaced Reagan, but well, I mean, this is how evil this company is to lessen the PR impact because they've sent Lawrence Rawls out and he's made a mockery of everything. Next, they send out Lee Raymond. And it's like that he's playing good cop here. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, he is at least not actively hostile to anybody asking him a question. You know, he at least is like, I'll answer your questions. So I guess that's a step up. Yeah, he's like, if Lawrence Rawls was... Trump, Lee Raymond is like Jair Bolsonaro, where he's like (laughs) legitimately kind of handsome and fucking talks fine and like doesn't say crazy. I mean, he says crazy shit, but it's just in a better package. Somehow Lee Raymond is the better package to Lawrence (laughs) Rawls. And this is like his Russian apartment bombings. Like that's what got Putin in charge of Russia. Like that's how he ascended from no one to the presidency and the Exxon Valdez oil spill is kind of how Lee Raymond starts making his ascent to CEO of Exxon, which I think he becomes by like 92. So 
few yeah, short something years. something like that in the 80s, 90s. And Exxon really, really swings into action at this point when it comes to PR. I would argue, just based on what you see in the documentary, they almost become as much a propaganda company as they are yeah. an oil company, which makes sense. Yeah, even beyond the propaganda aspect, it's that classic reputation laundering that you see a lot where in addition to all of their weird cartoons and shit, they're also like donating to the arts and donating to like all of these good organizations or seemingly good organizations. But also contributing to classroom curriculums. Right. But I mean, and again, this is the fucking conservative playbook. You know, this is Lee going by the book, you know, the modern conservative book. Like you go after the kids, you indoctrinate them in schools and you make it so that it doesn't seem weird that any of these evil things are happening. It's just normal. Yeah. And speaking of conservatives, the documentary at this point hits on something. I don't think I realized. I definitely didn't remember it. I'm not a climate scholar. It's not my favorite conspiracy topic by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) But I didn't realize there was a point where the right were not climate deniers like they show george right. bush campaigning and he's like hw yeah george hw bush campaigning on this yeah important distinction when it comes yes. to oil and the environment and he's like listen we're going to be the leaders on this we're going to get ahead of this we're going to fix this and in 1992 bush signs a treaty that kind of defines the un framework on climate change absolutely i found that fascinating I did not know any of that. No, I mean, in my entire, well, not my entire life, because this was happening in my life, but, you know, like my adult life, teenage life, it's always been a very partisan issue. Yeah. I mean, I would have been, you know, very young when this happened, so I wouldn't have remembered it. But I also found it fascinating that when the American government voted on that, it was just a unanimous vote. They didn't even do a roll call. So we were that close to being the country that was like, fuck yeah, let's fix the climate. And then Exxon swoops in and they talk to an investigative journalist at this point. And at this point in history, he starts looking into Exxon's media and financial dealings and finds that they've given something like $16 million, which is just the amount he can trace to all of these different media outlets and think tanks, Mm. all in an effort to get them to put out information that questions the science behind climate change. So outfits like the Cato Institute, which is described in this documentary as a place for libertarian-minded Republicans. Like, fucking great. Sounds nice. The guy I really wanted to talk about was in this section, not the Cato Institute guy, but the guy who was like a professional climate denier pundit. Like they get him as like an interview and he's like talking about how easy it was for him to do his job because, you know, he talks about the climate scientists are like they're relying on fear and scare tactics because it's a scary thing, climate change. And he's like, you know, Jim Hansen, he's doing us favors. At one point, he's talking about like the oceans are going to boil or something, you know. And I love this quote. He says, you know, it sounds like something out of the film Ghostbusters. You know, what's going to happen if the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man doesn't save you at the end? And I'm like, that's not what happens in Ghostbusters. <laughs> You're right. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is not the good guy. Did you are you sure you watched Ghostbusters? Yeah, that guy was a piece of shit. He was a real piece of shit. Like, the worst. And someone makes a really good point in this section that when it comes to convincing these right-wing politicians that, oh, yeah, you should be fighting against global warming. Right. Like, there's going to be a couple smart guys in that room, but there's also going to be a lot of dumb idiots who have no background in science at all. And if you get... Conservatives. Yeah, Exactly. And if you get an actual scientist in front of them to say, listen, none of this is as bad as they're making it out to be, which is great because it would cost you a lot of money if it was. Mm. 
of course they're going to side with the person that's not going to cost them a lot of money. That's how our government works now. We side with corporate America. Yes. That's kind of what happened when we were that close to being proactive on the environment. Yeah. It's documented extensively in this series, but Exxon went on this massive PR campaign where they reach out to all of these think tanks, academics, anyone they can get to say, well, the science isn't certain. It's not 100%. Yeah. It's a classic case of, you know, lobbying special interests dictating government policy. And with that, the science isn't 100%. It's not confirmed. That's the same route the tobacco industry took. Of course. Because the thing about science is it's never certain. No, that's the point. It's all you're as certain as you are able to be with the information that you have. Right. And tobacco and oil companies both seize on that. And that's where these claims about, well, there's no definitive evidence that either of these products are harmful, tobacco or oil. And it's like, yes, there is. There obviously is. And there's a great quote, doubt is the product. That was a quote from, I think, a tobacco executive. And that's all they need. They just need that one little opening to say, well, science isn't conclusive. So we don't have to Yeah, and you're never, and like any of the climate scientists, you're never going to get them to say, well, it's definitely 100% this, or this is going to happen 100%. If they're a good scientist, they can just say, based on the data that we have, this is the most likely outcome of our current course. Right. And that's not super persuasive to idiots. So. Yeah. And it's pointed out in this section of the documentary that this was kind of a criminal act on Exxon's part. It's absolutely a thing they should be held accountable for. People are trying. Right. It's certainly a thing that's in progress. But again, this does feel like big tobacco. It feels like the opioid crisis. It feels like Mm -hmm. the exact same thing where it's people lying in the name of making more money, even though they know it's going to cost people their lives. Yes. It's this fundamental sickness of our country. And so around 1991 is when climate denial kind of becomes a core belief of the Republican yeah. Party. In that short amount of time, George Bush the first campaigning on it, signing this historic treaty, and then in the matter of like 36 months, the Republican Party's like, nope, science is stupid. Right. If, if global warming's real, how come it's snowing outside? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> love that argument. Definitely love that. Also, it barely snows anymore. So how does that argument working out for you guys? Yeah, exactly. I think it's the Cato Institute guy that they're interviewing in this. His quote is that the plan when it came to kind of injecting climate skepticism into the political debate was to appeal to the Republican right and mobilize them for war. That's his actual quote. And it feels like that's exactly what happened. Yeah. It's not feels like it is like that's yeah. What happened? I mean, this is the play that we've seen over and over again since then in all sorts of different issues. It's just, you are able to rally the right around your cause because it's easy to rally the right around things. They're very manipulatable. They're stupid. So you can just (laughs) say, look, the libs want to take away your snow and make oil illegal. And then that's it. That's all it takes. And that's exactly what happens because around this time, the Kyoto Protocol starts Mm -hmm. being debated, which was kind of another attempt at a UN framework around global warming. And that's when this war really swings into high gear. Commercials start popping up about how this climate agreement is going to force American farmers to spend lots of money on new equipment that will put them out of business and drive up prices. And Exxon around this point sets up something called the Global Climate Coalition, which is just a conglomerate of every corporate entity that is going to be impacted by climate change regulation. They're just all pooling their money together to tell anyone who will listen that climate change and global warming are things we need not 
worry about. Right. They, in the documentary, call the Kyoto Protocol the Super Bowl of the climate change fight. And sure. I think that's accurate. Yeah. And there's this really, I think, kind of typical of corporate America moment in this documentary where Lee Raymond, during all of the debate about the Kyoto Protocol, he goes to China. Right. And talks to business leaders there and is like, listen, do not join this Kyoto Protocol. It's going to wreck your business. It's going to cost you so much money. We wouldn't want you to be a part of it. Right. Meanwhile, in the United States, mm-hmm. Exxon is running commercials about how the Kyoto Protocol is not fair because China's not part of it. So yeah. they're very much playing both sides of right. the fence. They use this really mature argument in these ads. If it's not everyone, it won't work. Great, guys. Yeah, it has to be the entire world for it to work. That's how that would work. And it is such a silly argument because the countries that are excluded are developing nations, which means in large part, they don't have the infrastructure that causes pollution yet. Right. And that's not to say it's all just like fucking desert and dust. No, they're partially developed, but they're not contributing to climate change the way the United States is. One of their propaganda ads say that developing nations account for like 50% of greenhouse gas emissions. And I would bet every cent that I have that almost all of those greenhouse gas emissions come from multinational corporations that use these developing countries as like waste fills for their shit. Like they have factories, they have shipping, all this stuff. So against all odds, the Kyoto Protocol passes and the United States signs it and Mm -hmm. everyone's really excited. But they note in the documentary that after that happened, the climate skeptics and like the pro oil lobby types did not seem concerned at all. Yeah. And someone says they basically overheard Lee Raymond say, I can't wait to get back to the United States so we can have a sensible conversation about this. Right. And what he means in a nutshell is the United States never ratified the Kyoto Protocol. Right. We are one of those holdouts that just like we signed it, but then we were like, yeah, not for us. It's a classic American. We're going to spearhead this thing. We're going to pressure a bunch of other countries into joining this thing with us. And then we're not going to really commit fully. We'll make you guys commit, but we're fine. And now fast forward to the 2000 election, which George Bush totally won fair and square. Absolutely. No question. There was definitely no interference from the Supreme Court in that election. And it's, you know, him versus climate warrior Al Gore. So the Kyoto Protocol was about to get ratified if Al Gore won. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. So... If anyone did intervene to help George Bush steal the election, I'm going to assume it was Exxon. Sure. Because it just seems like they had the wherewithal and the connections to do it. But I mean, it's not like Exxon had any direct connections to anyone in the Bush administration, right? Olivia, they had a few. A few? Yeah. Really? But no no one important. Well, you know, there was... Dick Cheney. Oh, sure. The vice president. Yes. Yeah. 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 The most evil motherfucker ever. Yeah. He had some connections to big Mm -hmm. oil. Like that election was essentially big oil versus climate change research and big oil won. And now big oil is our president. But in the end, climate change is always going to win because it's coming. Yeah, I mean, climate change is going to win. Climate change research and doing things about it, not so much. So yeah, around this time, Exxon feels emboldened enough that they start calling journalists and researchers and being like, listen, we got big oil in the White House now. You should probably shape up and act right. It's a new day, baby. We love oil again. And like there's Freedom of Information Act requests that show Exxon was meeting directly with the White House. The only oil company meeting directly with the White House. None of the others. Of course. And it's to the point that they actually start suggesting to the administration which people in the government should be fired and replaced with Mm -hmm. people who are more in line with their beliefs. And yeah, eventually... 
the Bush administration officially rejects the Kyoto Protocol. We still have not ratified it. Nope. I do feel like they skipped over some pretty important years in this documentary. For one thing, they go from 1992 when the Kyoto Protocol is signed, which I'm assuming that is the framework in question that George H.W. Bush signed, which means there were about eight years between that and the 2000 election. Mm -hmm. What happened to the Kyoto Protocols getting ratified during those eight years yeah and i'm pretty sure al gore was vice president during that time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he had some sway and like i don't know fair is fair you gotta at least mention what did bill clinton try to do to get this done what did obama do because they also cut from george bush kind of to trump it would be like a Guantanamo Bay documentary leaving Obama out. It's like right. he ran on shutting down Guantanamo Bay. Right. Like you have to ask him some questions. And I do think it's a little bit of a knock against this documentary that they just completely gloss over that in a basically three hour documentary. Yes. They had time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess there's just nothing happened. That yeah. has to be it. The Clinton administration and the Obama administration didn't make any significant forward motion on it. And so Exxon didn't need to go on the offensive during that time or at least change their strategy. And I'm sure some of it had to do with the makeup of like the House and Senate and majorities and Uh, things. Sure. Everything is always complicated. Yeah. But still. But still, I think it would have been to their benefit to at least touch on the fact that no administration has really done that much about climate change. So yeah, that brings us to part three, the reckoning, which I didn't realize a reckoning had happened. And uh uh-oh, turns out it hasn't. But no, I mean, they're trying. Yeah. And like public opinion is, I think, almost, I mean, you know, it's America in 2021. So like nothing's going to be a majority of the country believing in it. But like, yeah, feels like. Most people, even most conservatives, when they're behind closed doors, know that climate change is happening right now. Yeah, it's the same thing with guns. Like, people know it's real. Most of the country wants it dealt with in some manner. But this small group of corporate America teat-suckling conservatives keep winning elections and imposing their will on the rest of the country. And it's gross and it sucks. And Yes, it th- is gross and it does suck. And that's what this documentary is about. Yep. So now we fast forwarded to October 2021 and Big Oil's about to get theirs. Yeah. There's video of like a Senate or congressional committee grilling a current Exxon executive about Lee Raymond's statement 25 years ago that there is no link between the combustion of fossil fuels and greenhouse gases. And he admits that the two are linked and society explodes in celebration. We've won. It's like Mm -hmm. big deal. Like do something about it now. Like it's cool that he admitted it, but well, that video is also like the congressman is like, so now that you've admitted that there's a link, will you admit that Lee Raymond's statement was a mistake? And that the company has remorse for that. And the guy just can't answer. He doesn't even try. He just stays silent. Yeah. He's like that guy from the Iran-Contra hearings who just was rendered speechless before he was supposed to testify. Yeah. I still need to know all the details about that guy. Would love to know. But he's just like, I don't know. It It was so sad. This whole thing is just very depressing because this is obviously stuff we're still dealing with. Yeah, and there is a little bit of progress that happens in 2015. So now we've rewound to 2015. A bunch of documents about Exxon's decades of climate change shenanigans start surfacing and researchers start doing unboxing videos, combing through them. And they find that Exxon has been doing exactly what's described in this documentary. That's where a lot of this comes to light. These documents are what seem like they should set the stage for a lot of kind of big tobacco type lawsuits. That's what happened to the tobacco industry. Eventually 
conclusive proof was found that they were lying because here's the thing. Lying isn't science. You can prove no. when someone's lying conclusively and mm-hmm. evidence of that was found and big tobacco, like their business was impacted by those lawsuits and absolutely smoking has decreased significantly in this country. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to go back up now that we banned jewel and like flavored vapes, but it's fine, whatever. But that kind of seems like we're on the cusp of that with big oil. That's what this documentary is getting at because right. There's all of these states that are now filing lawsuits based on these documents against Exxon. New York is one of the first. They lost really quick, but they also lost because they went a really specific route with it that just didn't work. Right. I love the part where Exxon claims their First Amendment rights are being violated by people telling them they can't lie about (laughs) climate change. I mean, look, our Supreme Court ruled that corporations are people, so they technically do have First Amendment rights. Now, whether they were being violated by these lawsuits, that's a different question. But that is unfortunately the state of our nation right now, is that a corporation could potentially claim that its First Amendment rights have been infringed. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, the Supreme Court, they're hearing a lot of interesting cases here pretty soon they i think Mm -hmm. just ruled on the one that basically makes it like if you have a permit you can conceal carry a gun anywhere yeah establishments cannot tell you otherwise uh also one that would clear the way for like states to just if an election doesn't go the way they thought it was going to go they can just kind of blow it up and choose their own electors and decide it for themselves I just, God bless America. Yeah. Independent legislature doctrine. I think it's called. Yeah. Good times. We're doing an unpops about it soon. (laughs) So yeah, that New York case, it failed in part because it focused on whether Exxon lied to their shareholders and not the general public. But there's other lawsuits that are progressing through the courts and they're just, you know, moving slowly because that's how the American court system works but yes indeed there have been successful lawsuits in other countries so it's possible sure how worried were you for jim hansen when they show that clip of him with al gore back in like the late 80s and a reporter is like aren't you worried about these oil companies retaliating against you in some way (laughs) and al gore's like I guarantee if anyone comes after you, will you have our full protection of the American government? And I was sure they were going to cut to this guy in a wheelchair or something. Right. And we were going to hear about him being run off the road in March of 1990. But nope. (laughs) Seems fine. He's living in a nice house. Got horses. Can't own horses and have a rough life. They're very expensive. No, right. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't worried about him for that reason because we'd seen him in present day, so I knew he wasn't going to be hurt. But still, but, we, we're doing the Lost podcast. You remember how the Lost reveal happens? Yeah. Like, there's a documentary was, called Crazy Love, which, spoiler, fast forward if you don't want to know this, but it's about a woman who this guy was obsessed with her and he eventually threw acid in her face and oh God. went to prison for it. But he started writing her letters in prison and they're interviewing these two separately because they're both alive. And you get to about the halfway point and you're like, oh, shit, they're married, aren't they? And they were. That's the crazy ass twist. And oh, no, I was kind of afraid there was going to be in the way you can tell at first this guy because they interview both of them and he's a lawyer now. And like right when you start getting that feeling she takes a drink from her coffee cup and it says world's greatest lawyer on it. And she's not a lawyer, but he was. And that's when I was like, fuck, she married the guy. And yep. That's so I was worried. That's so sad. Yeah. I was worried. Jim Hansen was going to hold up a coffee mug that said world's greatest (laughs) government harassment victim or something. (laughs) Nah, he's good. He's good. He stopped doing as much science to do more activism. That's right. All. That's all that was building I'm just, up to. I'm just never going to be able to get that acid story out of my head. It is a wild documentary. It's very good. It's called Crazy Love. Watch it. We're dead. Anyway, climate change. Woo! 
<laughs> so yeah, Jim Hansen's fine. And do you know why he's fine, Olivia? Fossil why? fuels. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course, we should stop and mention that this episode was sponsored by our good friends at ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil, creating a better future. <laughs> Here's the thing. It could happen because... You can exclude certain categories, like from ads running on your show. Like I've excluded politics and stuff like that. Right. I need to to get in and find energy companies to exclude those before this goes up. Otherwise, that exact thing is going to happen. That would be really funny. It would. Yeah. Out of my hands if it happens. Just know that, everybody. (laughs) You'll be fine. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) So what what did we think about Sister Pat Daly? Lover. Yeah, best, she's best one in the dock. She's great. I was worried for a second because I couldn't make heads or tails about what she was talking about. Like they show like a TV interview with her back in the day. Right. And it seemed like she was about to start defending Exxon, but no. Well, because she's introduced as a shareholder of Exxon. Right. But what that means, she is a shareholder of Exxon, but sister Pat Daly is a nun who is in charge of this huge pension fund that covers clergy members. Mm -hmm. I think they said something like 15 million or was it billion dollars? It was huge. It was a lot lot. of money. Like at one point the filmmaker is like, so you're pretty influential, huh? And she's just like, (laughs) yep, I sure am. am. And she, (laughs) she has, So much confidence, it rules. Yeah, it's great. That's got to be a kind of confidence that comes with, I don't know, just knowing that you've like lived a good life and no one can really. Yeah, like no one can really say shit. Right, which they mention in the documentary. Like she is unimpeachable. Like they can't attack her personally. It's impossible. She's a fucking nun and like a good nun. She's not like corrupt or some shit. (laughs) She's like just a nun, a good lady who like does things and it rules. And yeah, she's what they call an activist investor, which means she buys up enough shares in a company that she can put pressure on the board to make them start behaving the way they should behave. Yep. And that's a good way to influence an evil corporation because it's hard to do it from outside. Uh, It's just unfortunate that you do need to have an insane amount of money. And so it's like limited the amount of people who can do this. Right. And at this point in history is when Lee Raymond resigns, or at least at this point in the documentary is when they tell us that he resigned. And yeah, we mentioned it earlier, nearly half a billion dollars in retirement benefits. Including that a million was, dollar a year consulting fee. It's like, what is that? His Starbucks money? Yeah, it's his stipend. And that's 400 million retirement that we know about. Right. Like, you know, that's recorded. And it includes lots of stocks. He gets like use of the company plane. Of course. Like they point out in the documentary, it makes sense that Exxon would reward him this way because he steered their company through a difficult time and then made them a buttload of fucking money. And they don't care because they're a corporation that the way he did all that was by being one of the most evil motherfuckers alive. Yeah. I thought the part at the end, speaking of activist investors, yeah, Charlie Penner thing was mm-hmm. really interesting. He is also an activist investor who. Yeah, he's cool, too. Works at a firm called Engine Number One. He like created it, right? Yeah, yeah. And he gets on a call at Exxon and is like, listen, I'm an investor in this company. I'm a significant investor in this company. And you got to fix your shit. What I like about it is it's still a business decision. Like he's still thinking from a business perspective. And his argument is just, well, your business model is oil, oil, oil. The demand for oil is never going to decrease at all over the next however many decades. And Charlie Penner's view on it is that's dumb. Of course, demand for oil is going to decrease and you need to start looking into other shit. And that whole part is fascinating. It happens on a call when they're trying to appoint board members, I believe. Yeah, they're like voting on new members of the board. And yeah, that is a really good tactic. And like, that's the tactic to approach again when you're dealing with most corporate 
malfeasance and that sort of thing is most of the time the evil shit is actually not really a good business strategy. It's just the only thing they know how to do. Yeah. And they also show a clip near the end. I feel like they didn't give enough context for what was going on, but this climate group basically tricks an Exxon guy into admitting that they've just been lying about global warming forever. Which Yeah, that was wild. That part's cute, but also we know by now. Right. Well, I don't think we had anybody who'd ever, like from the inside, stated it so bluntly. I will say, don't divulge your corporate secrets over Zoom. (laughs) Like, that's stupid. Especially not Uh, to like a new person who just showed up in your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only thing I wanted to say about Charlie Pinner, though, is that he got four seats on their board. Yeah. Which is crazy and really good. Yeah, and it does seem like he is putting some mechanisms in place to change their business model and hopefully move away from oil eventually. Cause there is that part at the end where they mentioned that they reached out to Lee Raymond and Exxon both for comment and Exxon refused to comment, but just directed the filmmakers to Exxon's own climate solutions report. Right. And they mention that this report says that Exxon plans to be net zero in terms of carbon emissions as a company mm-hmm. by 2050, which that's a pretty lofty goal. But then sure. they, they also point out that in the fine print, it says that that pledge does not apply to carbon emissions caused by burning fuel, which is sure. 90% of their carbon emissions. Yeah. To give Charlie Penner the benefit of the doubt, they could have put that in place. And, you know, by 2050, maybe burning fuel is 20% of their carbon emissions. And everything else, like that would still be an improvement. I got the sense that this climate report was from before Charlie Penner was on the board. Oh, sure, sure. You know, and again, like, who knows? Even if he's got good motivations, it sucks that we have to rely on, like, one super rich guy to help in this situation. But I mean, I do think that hopefully he'll push things in the right direction. I guess that's the most we can hope for. Yeah, that's the thing. He's probably still going to be a huge monster about it, but maybe, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know him at all. I've never heard of him before this. Yeah. They don't speak to him in this, but I mean, now he's on Exxon's board. He's not, or is he on the board? I know he got, His firm has four seats. I don't know what that entails. I don't know. Look, I'm not a corporate whore, so I don't know how (laughs) any of that shit works. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, so there's, you know, there's hope, I guess. Yeah. Potentially. Sure. You know? Not really. Yeah, I mean, there is no hope, but. We're still going to be underwater in 40 years, so who cares? But to hear this documentary tell it, progress is being made. Doesn't that feel good? You can't, end your, you can't end your documentary on. And yeah, we're still doomed. So the end. Bye. <laughs> yeah, but we are. So. Yes. Uh, the end. Bye. Do we. You know, I'm just glad that you know, I'm living in this house in Indiana. And I'm just really glad that if I hang on to it, I'll have beachfront property. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's the upside. Yeah. I'm excited to see the Indianapolis coast someday. Oh, it'll be beautiful. Look at what we did to the Lake Michigan coast. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It'll be just like Gary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was driving from Indianapolis actually to Janesville, Wisconsin once. And my GPS at one point was like, Hey, you want to save 12 minutes? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to save 12 minutes, except got off the highway and realized immediately I was in Gary, Indiana, because I was in a quaint small town and a police gang unit car pulled up next to me. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. It's really unfortunate what happened to that city. Yeah. It's a fucking nightmare. So do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? This is a free episode. If you were a subscriber, you would have already heard going back our lost rewatch podcast. Yeah. Uh, If you're not on Patreon, do that. Get on Patreon. Get on Patreon. Listen to that show. It's fun. We watch Lost. It rules. Get on your Spotify app. You can subscribe there. You can subscribe on Supercast. I keep promising you're going to be able to subscribe in the Apple Music app someday. Uh, it'll happen eventually dad's got to upload a lot of episodes manually for that to happen so Ugh. 
I'll find time someday. Uh, Yes, I did hear your question. Can't someone on Fiverr do it? No, I'm not giving them access to my fucking iCloud account because. Yeah, Jesus. No. Oh, my God. (laughs) So hold your damn horses. If you're chomping at the bits to hear bonus episodes in your Apple it's, Music podcast. And also, thank you so much for looking forward of to the course, bonus thank, episodes. Thank you. Appreciate Isn't the support. Isn't it so wild that that's where podcasts began and it's the worst place to find and listen to podcasts? Yeah. And also to publish them? Yeah, they are quickly becoming the friendster of podcasts, where it's like, you got in so early, how are you not dominating? I know. It's wild. Like YouTube And is they are over. dominating. They're Apple. Right, <laughs> right. They're generally They're dominating. They're doing just fine. But yeah. So, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Olivia, say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. People of Earth, your planet is about to be destroyed.